0: Every show is a dose of inspiration. This is Success Profiles Radio. And now, here's your host, Brian K. Wright.
1: Hello and welcome to Success Profiles Radio. I'm your host, Brian K. Wright, and it's an absolute pleasure to be with you here today. I'm honored that you chose to spend part of your day with me here, and this is going to be an amazing show. I'll be introducing my guest shortly. I promise this will be a fun and informative hour. It will be terrific. I do want to take a minute or two to share some things I've been learning and thinking about lately and I typically do this every single week. When life throws you a curveball, how do you respond to it? It's very natural to think that a bad thing just happened to us, but what if you considered the possibility that this bad thing is exactly what you were asking the universe for? Let me explain. A friend of mine shared this analogy with me recently and I think it's very accurate Asking the universe for something is very much like ordering from Amazon. The minute you place the order, it's on its way. But when the delivery driver knocks on the door, you suddenly have second thoughts. You pretend to not be home. You tell the driver to go away, not realizing that you are being given exactly what you actually wanted. You want to arrive home from work safely and have a flat tire, but didn't realize that the flat tire actually saved you from being exposed to a drunk driver in the wrong lane, which could have hit you head on. Or... Consider that you were starting a business and you wanted to ramp it up, only to find that you lost your job before you thought you were ready for it. These are just two examples, but be thankful for whatever happens. Life always happens for you and not to you. And to the extent that you actually believe that will be reflected in the amount of peace that you will have in your life. So before I forget, let me tell you that you can download and subscribe to the show for free on iTunes. So with all this in mind, I want to introduce my very special guest. His name is Babak Asad. Let me tell you about him. Babak Asad was previously the Senior Vice President of Media and Customer Acquisition at Beachbody, which created P90X, 21 Fix, 21 Day Fix, and Shakeology, among other programs. His teams managed all offline and online media, telesales activities, and web testing and landing page optimization efforts. During his tenure, they ran over a half a billion dollars in media, And acquired over 10 million customers across their phone channel, their website, and on Amazon. Previously, he worked in corporate development at Napster, as well as founding and launching Tone Magazine, a free publication for gyms and yoga studios in the Los Angeles area. He received his MBA from Stanford and graduated with a BS in math from MIT. He's also ridden his bicycle across the U.S. He's done two Ironman triathlons, a 508-mile bicycle race, and he was on the Ruin crew in college. And his passions include entrepreneurship, leadership, education, and fitness. So very extensive profile. With all that in mind, here's my very special guest, Babak Azad. How are you today?
2: I'm good, Brian. Thanks for that intro. Pleasure to be here.
1: I'm glad to have you here, too. The first question I normally ask everyone is just to tell us how you got started. Where did you start? What did you overcome? What brought you to where you are now?
2: Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I think so. I'm not going to it's going to sound like I'm going way far back, but I'll, I'll jam through it. But, you know, um, you know, I was born in Iran and uh, we came to the States in 1977 when I was four. Um, and I think coming to the States as an immigrant, um, you know, it was pre the revolution, but we certainly lived through it um, here. And so, you know, faced uh, challenges with family and friends that were back home uh, with the war and then obviously all the political stuff that was a mess Um, and, you know, obviously a lot of lives impacted, Um, you know, we faced a lot of, uh, um, uh, I'll say just, you know, people being prejudiced or just assuming kind of about, you know, things about a whole country about rather than the individual.
1: So tell us about the best $25,000 you ever lost. I think that's a fascinating story.
2: Yeah. So I left um, Stanford in 01. I I I graduated in 01. And having lived in the Bay Area from 97 to 99, uh, in working in banking and then business school from 99 to 01, that was kind of heyday of whatever, internet 1.0. And I left to go, I wanted to go do something entrepreneurial. Um, I had a business school professor, his name is Irv Grosbeck. He's actually a co-owner of the Boston Celtics. He founded Continental Cable Vision, which is a nine-figure business. And one of the best pieces of advice I got from him was you've been doing a lot of analysis in the sense of... I was a math major and bank and business school and banking. It's all like analysis, but there's doing, but it's not really doing and not really running a business. So um, I think, frankly, I wanted to go do something for risk's sake, and uh, I also wanted to bootstrap something to prove a little bit of that you could start something without raising money. Um, The reality was, I mean, you can. I mean, I wasn't successful in it. I I still think there are a lot of places you can. um, But I basically came down to LA and started a magazine for gyms and yoga studios. And uh, I think I had a very naive approach towards the whole, if you build it, they will come. Um, You know, it's uh, as one of my friends said, starting a business is like reviving the dead. And, um, you know, I certainly felt that way. And I think I was pretty naive. I was not as skilled as I hopefully am today. But also, I just think my sense of what you need to do to get a business going. Um, But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I basically hired people for free um, or very, very cheap. I was fortunate that uh, we got three, three issues out of the magazine um, you know, I did all the distribution. I had a minivan that, you know, my joke was that I had a minivan that beeped when you put it in reverse, but oh, yeah. I, was, I was going over to all the distribution points. Um, but I had, you know, some art directors and writers that I got pretty darn cheap. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a sales advertising model. And frankly, I just needed to be making a lot more phone calls every single day. Um, but learned a lot, you know, and, um, you know, it was looking back, I will say maybe it was fun, but I know during it, I was, I was not as happy and, um, I was pretty miserable. Uh, and I think there were some things about that that I learned about myself. But ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, losing 25 grand on a magazine um, is actually not that much. And uh, But I, I think I learned a lot of what it takes. Certainly, I needed a big dose of humility at that point. Yeah. And, um, you know, very grateful for, you know, having my parents as a support here and certainly my sisters. But um, yeah, that was a, it was a good but painful experience.
1: Yeah. So you would say it was worth it then?
2: Yeah. I mean, look, I think... Um, everything that my past has gotten to me where I am today. You know, yes. I think I actually saw an interview with Michael Jordan, and um, you know, he talked about you know losing and you know his first parts of his career, and then even you know taking time off. And I think you know, hopefully, you're happy with where you're at today or the path you're going on. But I don't know if things have been different in my past if I would have been in a better or worse situation today. All I know is I'm happy with where I am, and so yeah. um, you know, it is a bit of like sometimes it's not pleasant to go through it and sometimes to recover from things, but you know, it's where I, it's it's gotten me, it's it's a part of my life, part of my experience that got me to where I am today. So I don't know how to do
1: it. Great. We've got about maybe two or possibly three minutes until our first break. So let me ask how you ended up at Beachbody.
2: So, um, the only headhunter I knew in LA called me up on a Thursday. I called him back on Friday and he said, I have a really cool opportunity for you. It might fit your lifestyle goals. And I didn't say it, but and I was thinking, oh, you mean my desire not to work that hard and um, have a nice <laughs> income. Um, and uh, and so, but I was—I mean, I was only being halfway joking, or I didn't say it, obviously, but in my head. Right. Uh, I interviewed on Monday. I had an offer Tuesday and I gave notice on Wednesday and started two and a half weeks later. So I got lucky. Um, you know, I got, I had a hundred who called me up, the role that they needed. At that point, the CFO had just gotten in. And so I'm not, a, I was, I have a finance background, but I don't want to be a CFO. It's just not my who I am but um i was good at it and i knew how to do finance stuff let's just say in, in in analytics and they needed a bit of a jack of all trades and so i could do the budgeting and forecasting which i got no interest in but i was like i'll do it but ultimately i took a 25% pay cut and um because i knew i wanted to be in something in health and fitness and um you know in that kind of category and i just figured once i get in i'll figure it out and uh and it sounds i think a little bit cliche but you know, I, uh, I, I did and, and was fortunate in that obviously we had a great run. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but you know, I got in at a, at a good time and, uh, we stayed private the whole time, but you know, it was, it, we saw some phenomenal growth and hopefully I was, hopefully I was a decent bit of part of that.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I've seen the commercials all the time. Was Tony Horton, the spokesperson when you started, or was that something that happened while you were there?
2: Yeah, he had been, I mean, Tony had been around doing power 90, uh, since I think 2000 or 2001, so you know, I, I joined in 07, So he'd been around for a bit. Um, you know, there were there were always several trainers um, that were involved, and uh, and so um, yeah, he was he was one of them. Sean T, who does insanity and all these other ones, 20, or, uh, uh, T25. He would hip hop abs just launched when I got there. Literally, I think yeah. like two weeks before. But yeah, know yeah, we had a, we always had a few um, folks that we were working
1: with. Yeah, very very popular programs for sure. And, and one thing I think that Beachbody does very well is they've got programs to cater to all different kinds of needs. Some people want the longer workouts. Some people just want to be done as soon as possible. And it, it, they're very very uh, good. I know people. I've not done those programs myself, but I know people who have and swear by them. Uh, I, I'm afraid to try it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean the products are all great. I mean I think anyone who's used them has uh, has, has thought they were solid. Obviously starting yeah. and then completing is a different game, and that takes something, but I think are yeah. all pretty legit, pretty darn legit programs.
1: Yeah, I, I certainly will try one someday here. We will come right back after the break. This is Success Profiles Radio. We will be right back. Please stay with us. book the survival guide to living with stress so get the healthy primate stress support supplement today at www.screwstress.com click the amazon logo it'll take you where you need to go once again that is www.screwstress.com have you ever thought about running a book And We are back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest this week is Babak Asad, and he is best known as a marketing strategist and so much more. He spent some time at Beachbody and helped them grow to over 10 million customers during his time there. So let me ask you, uh, Babak, when you were putting together your growth strategy for Beachbody, was there a successful model from other companies that you emulated, or was this a unique situation you had to figure out your own set of solutions?
2: Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, just, you know, obviously when I joined, we were at a hundred million. Um, you know, I was pretty fortunate and that's obviously pretty significant scale. Yes. Um, you know, it certainly wasn't just me and, um, the co-founders, Carl and John had been doing this for seven, eight years at Beachbody. And then Carl goes way back till the, uh, eight minute, uh, eight minute abs days. Um, so, um, so, you know, I think the, the concept of, I mean, direct response as a model was a big part of our growth, and then I can talk about the multi-level marketing and network marketing side of the business, which is where Shakeology um, uh, that also turned into a significant uh, growth channel. But yes. from a from a direct response side, I mean, what we did was, you know, primarily it was, TV was our bread and butter. Um, that was Carl was and, uh, and the obvious folks on his team were kind of the creative geniuses from the product development and offer development side. Um, so, I mean, you know, Guthy Ranker, everyone I think knows about Proactive, and, you know, yes. they're all they're the, they're, I'll call them the sketchier uh, DRTV products that were out there and probably still exist to a certain extent today. But, you know, that model of run traffic to an offer, get them to convert, um, how do you maximize LTV, and, you know, how do you grind things out, you know, there are absolutely plenty of models before. And in the years way past, it was direct mail and catalog and radio and things like that. So, I think as a business model, that's existed forever. Um, you know, we just had uh, our way of doing it.
1: Absolutely. So, using Beachbody as a case study, did you? What did you see as income opportunities that maybe they weren't taking advantage of that you tapped into?
2: Um. So you mean what? What kinds of things were did they not have that we we actually added uh, as yes. during that time? Yes. Yes. Um, you know, I think so. They actually had a strategy. Let me talk just briefly about the network marketing side because um, that the DR business was and is very much a hit-driven business, and uh, just like the video game industry, like the movie industry, and so um, there was a desire to kind of remove some of the choppiness out of it. And whether you're running Facebook ads, your product launches, or kind of other DR typical DR models, um, oftentimes it's pretty choppy, and you know the success of your offer and creative can affect your, you know, short-term and longer-term results and you kind of got to keep going at it versus, um, the, the goal was to create some like more continuity and smoothness, uh, to the revenues and, and profit. So that's when the, basically it launched again, another thing that launched concurrent with when I joined was the network marketing side of the business, which is like an Amway Herbalife type model. Um, and ultimately a couple of years after that Shakeology launched, um, and that's grown into, you know, whatever, half a million people a month on active continuity and, those numbers are pretty are public, so um, Carl talks about that a lot. Um, yeah, so that was certainly one area was trying to, to leverage a group of rabid uh, fans and customers, um, and ultimately a network marketing business is an, is a glorified affiliate model. There are some fundamental differences, but you know there's a component where it's an affiliate model. Um, I think the other thing we did, um, you know, really when people talk about, ask about the success and kind of what we tapped into, you know, I think I talk about Guthy as and proactive as. They were just dominating, and frankly, they did so. They were doing so well that, um, however, this comes off, we just we weren't we weren't as great as they were at that point, and so we just had to be much more rigorous and dial in the operational side and optimization side just that much better. And not to say I got friends over at Guthy, so it's not a knock on them, but I just think when you're not when things aren't as easy or as um, uh, obvious, uh, you got to grind things out. I think, look, they were minting cash, so there's a lot of respect I have for that business. But ultimately, we, I mean, it was a grind it out, figure out where all the pennies and little percents are, and those things add up all the time. Uh, and so whether it was upsells and cross-sells or you know, how we think about database marketing, which frankly, we still, I don't think we got that great at, um, but you know, it, was, it was grind out all those little parts on the, on the top line and, and, uh, and cost structure. But I would say that between the network marketing side and that, that was what came from. It wasn't like we added 30 new SKUs and 17 new channels, I think, finding opportunities and exploiting.
1: Okay. I, you're, you're breaking up a little bit. Uh, I, did, I did hear the tail end of what you said, but, yeah, that's that's fantastic. Let's talk about uh, scaling of business. You wrote an article for Digital Marketer where you identified revenue gaps or opportunities that businesses can look at talk about that for a bit. Cause I think that discussion was absolutely brilliant. What opportunities are people missing?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that is um, really what I tried to do in that post uh, was create a bit of a process that, you know, there are certain things I think you have to, that are helpful to have a process and be methodical on. And there are certain places where um, you can't overanalyze and you got to use you know, certainly a different form of creativity, but really the goal there. Um, uh, going to be the the goal there in that post was really to try to identify and help people identify areas in the business. And it's really about breaking down the funnel. So, you know, step one was traffic and media and this conversion, what you're doing with offers, um, non-converting leads, post-transaction and retention. And those were kind of the six buckets. But ultimately, it was about um, what are the different points in the business um, where you have opportunities. And then I didn't even touch the cost side yet in that post. And then really, it's about Do you have information to help inform that so whether it's reporting analytics insights whatever words you want to put around it but for me i'm a big guy i'm i'm big on helping use information to help guide your decisions because everyone is resource constrained and so we can think something is not working or think a page isn't good looking or an offer isn't working at the end of the day the metrics tell the story or at least tell a big part of the story and they can Mm -hmm. help identify where are the key levers in the business? And then at the very least, no matter how advanced or simple your reporting is, you have a baseline and then you just work from there to incrementally improve or hopefully have some step function improvements on conversion. So, um, you know, that was really about trying to create a bit of a process and give people some sense of make sure explicitly you've identified these different points in the business and in the funnel. And then what are some strategies to go after uh, and tactics to go after to go improve?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about non-converting leads for for a minute, because you get a ton of leads with the amount of money that you were spending on ads. Not everyone that comes to your site will buy. So how do you? I, I'm sure you do track the people that, for example, land on your page but don't give you your email address, or they go to the purchase page but they don't buy. What strategies do you use to try and recapture that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there are. You know, I think some of the uh, the tried and true things of um, you know, putting retargeting pixels on, uh, retargeting and uh, hitting people up through GDN, a Google Display Network, or Facebook. Um, you know, there are, I think, how you use pop-ups, um, and I'm much more of an exit intent pop-up guy as opposed to um, exit pops, which launch a new browser, and, you know, the platforms, the media platforms certainly don't like them. Um, I even think, frankly, doing a pop-up right when someone hits the page can be intrusive, and people just want to kind of get to know you as opposed to being, you know, pushed into something right away. So, you know, certainly um, trying to figure out, look, it's a good site, maybe it's a 5% conversion, um, you know, and you can have channels that are higher than that. But, you know, let's say 90 to 95% of the people who visit your site don't convert. You know, that's a lot of, there's a lot of people that are coming that aren't, you're not doing something with. So at the very least, getting them, you know, pixeling them. I think most people these days are probably doing that. I think, you know, it's still, there are still some I run into, but I think many people are, you know, how do you, how do you in a nice way, but I'll just say aggressively, um, uh, get people to join your list. And then uh, what are you doing to work and mine that list? And again, this is where analytics comes in, in the sense of what are you doing? You know, how, what kind of, um, what kind of conversions you get on leads, um, from, let's say from your email sequence, um, do you have an email sequence? What's the value of a lead over time? Um, you know, just, this is again, going back to what's the process and, how are you tracking people as they go through your site and through, you know, your customer experience. But, you know, I think those, and then, you know, certainly you can do like YouTube retargeting ads, things like that. But um, those are two of the most, you know, the easiest I think to implement in terms of retargeting ads on Facebook and Google and email. And I think that gets you a long ways there. And then it's all, how do you work to optimize? Them?
1: Yeah. I, I know that Facebook and Amazon in particular are very good at that. Sometimes I will look up my own book on Amazon and I get pixeled on Facebook. It's like it's it's my book. Of course I'm not going to, buy my book i already have copies of it already it's 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 interesting it's interesting so let me ask you this uh getting to 10 million customers i'm sure was additional customers i'm sure was no small trick a lot of things worked what didn't work
0: uh a
2: bunch (laughs) um you know i think it's easy when you look at a business like that certainly when they have scale i think the mistakes or the things that don't work aren't as obvious i mean so P ninety X is the brand. I think a lot of people know. Um, yes, you know, and the, I think the people think one thing that people don't really recognize is that show took two years to get to work. Um, mm-hmm. They had launched it in 05 and then it really took two years of working it. Unfortunately, there were other shows that were working to help, obviously, pay the bills and help the business grow. But um, you know, P ninety X, which became a blockbuster, you know, that took a while to work it. And um, you know, I will say, like cold, when I was there, cold traffic. We weren't great at it. And, uh, and I think, you know, the network marketing side of the business, which was, as I said, kind of an affiliate model, you know, there were some strategic decisions that that was um, there were certain offers we couldn't do because of that side of the business. But that's probably a good trade off. But, you know, again, I saw that. I mean, I've spent a lot of time in the last two years with my clients, you know, heavily focused on um, cold traffic and digital. And I mean, especially Facebook and Google, where the vast majority of the growth happens. But, you know, we weren't great at cold traffic. Um, despite the fact that two thirds of our orders converted online, but we weren't, we weren't delusional that, um, and we knew that that was driven heavily through TV and then through word of mouth and things like that. So, you know, I think that the, we also, we had some shows that, um, you know, kickboxing, we never got dialed in that well, things that were very sports specific and athletic performance specific. I've seen offers in those things work, they just weren't blockbusters for us. And, you know, I think when you're a nine figure business, the bar is different. Um, and so for a smaller business, they might have been wins. But again, everyone's resource constrained and there's opportunity cost to time. And there are only so many people who can work on the creative. So you have to pick and choose. And sometimes you got to put attention towards things where maybe you can make it work. But, you know, you have a higher at least perceived chance of success
1: and, and scale. Okay. We've got uh, a, about a minute to our next break. I, I think I'll probably wait until the next break to ask my next question because I think it might take a little bit longer. But we are with Babak Assad, and he worked with Beachbody for quite a long time. He oversaw over $500 million in uh, media spend, and as a result, they acquired 10 million new customers uh, P90X, Hip Hop Abs, uh, 21 Day Fix, all of those kinds of programs did very, very, very well. We're talking about the strategies that he used and strategies that we can use in our business to help grow and add more clients. We will come right back after the break and after the break, I'm going to ask him about JV opportunities, how to identify what's a good fit and what's not, how to identify a good price point for your product and how to attract an amazing team of people to work with. We'll do do that and so much more when we come back this is successful Frows radio please stay with us don't go away.
0: And
1: we are back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest is Baba Kassad, and we are talking about scaling businesses today. So let me ask you this. Uh, joint venture opportunities, that's a huge buzzword. People uh, taking uh, partnering up with other organizations that have a list that may overlap uh, at least somewhat with yours, uh, trying to capture new audiences via who is following another organization. How do you identify if a JV opportunity is a good fit for a business? Are there questions or filters that you have in place to vet those opportunities?
2: Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think think a lot of things start with, what are your business goals and business strategy? And it sounds obvious, but I think, let's say, like in technology, in picking technology, I think a lot of people oftentimes pick a tool and then say, how do I go find, uh, how do I apply this to my business? Because maybe someone talked about it or a friend talked about it or they just came across it, as opposed to what are the business strategies and problems I'm trying to solve? And then what's the tool to go solve it? I think the same thing happens um, in many parts of the business and I think JVs are one of them. So, you know, from a, you know, if it's a traffic issue or just a desire to, um, start to grow or add traffic that's, you know, on a CPI, on a cost per acquisition basis, and it's a lower risk. Um, then, you know, then it's understanding, you know, what, how much can you pay out? Uh, how much do affiliates need to get paid? What kind of earnings per click do they get? Things like that. But I also think a big part of it is brand is how important is brand in alignment with the brand and the offer. Um, and I mean, I mean, you know, there's still a lot of folks out there who run affiliate offers where, Um, it's, it's very disconnected to the core business. And, uh, but the desire is, well, I can monetize my list. And, um, you know, it's, I think having some sense of brand alignments, I think you can go out, let's say a circle or two, if you can think about concentric circles about your product and your offer. And I think it's great to test, but I think sometimes just in the interest of maximizing the value of the list, people are putting some offers out there that are not, are not consistent with the brand. Um, I think the other side of that is that a lot of people shy away from affiliate and jv offers because they don't control it but i also think um these off that you use running jv i mean let's say to your own list um or vice versa whatever it is but it's a great way to test and see what kinds of things does your list respond to and it may actually help the process of you know product development and so let's say if you're in supplements or you're in apparel or whatever the category is and you're wondering hey what are some of the new products i should be creating or categories categories to go into you can run affiliate offers and, uh, or the other way around to see what kind of things does my list or my audience respond better to. And that's generally cheaper than going and creating a whole bunch of new products that it turns out your customers may not actually want. Um, now, there may be a lot of other reasons towards it, but at least that can be a, be a, a part of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I love that. That's really great. Because I think sometimes people just want to connect in JV just for the sake of JVing without even really considering whether the other organization is a fit or whether there's a a compatibility with with your own mission. And I think that can be a huge mistake. Let's talk about establishing a good price point, obviously, if you're scaling a business and trying to maximize profitability, selecting the price point that is appropriate for your product or service is important. And of course, testing is a huge part of that. How big of a test do you run to determine if you've got something going that's, that's working for you? How big of a test? Um... Like how big of a sample size? do you? Do you I mean, you're going to test different price points. How do you know when you've got the right answer? I guess maybe it might be, be that a better question.
2: Um, you know, so assuming you understand, you know, what your bare minimum, um, and I, I it's not, it's maybe a faulty assumption, but you know, you got to start with understanding what is the bare minimum. Um, you can offer at. And then again, I'll go back to brand is what do you want the brand to be known for? Um, yeah. I think if you're always trying to do the bare minimum price, uh, I think it's a, it's a horrible place to be. Um, I generally like, I like working with pre- uh, premium for premium. That's my business. Like I like working with people who want to build a brand. And when you do that, you can offer premium for premium. Um, you know, in terms of counts, you know, if you want exact number, you know, usually like there are statistical significance calculators to help you sense, a, get a sense of, you know, if you run 200 or 400, orders, depending on the volume of clicks and traffic, you know, that's, that may be enough. Um, it may not even need to be that much. And as a business, you may need to make a decision, uh, quicker than that. But, you know, I think you got to get some sense of volume where two or three orders, um, in one direction or another, uh, wouldn't necessarily sway it. Now, if you're in a really high price point in, you know, let's say you're 50,000, hundred thousand dollar offers, or, I mean, over the lifetime, or you're doing coaching and things like that, maybe that, that you're not able to run it to get to a hundred orders. But let's assume that it's a consumer product that's like, you know, 50 bucks, 200 bucks. You can run a decent bit of volume to get some sense of what's working and what's not. Um, I generally, again, like I rather not play the low price game. I think right. people will kind of um, subscribe to that. And it's not an original concept, but I just rather um, have a be in a place where um, I forget who said it, but, you know, you're willing, you're able to invest in product and invest in the uh, customer experience uh, to improve it as opposed to the race to the bottom is, a, you know, you're know you not going to win that battle
1: for that long. No, absolutely not. I, I agree with that for sure. Uh, let's talk about attracting an amazing team of people to work with. I mean, clearly the best organizations want the A team, the A players on their team. Uh, there are a lot of B and C players running around. I had Darren Hardy on my show and we talked about this topic. Um, the A players uh, are more expensive, but uh, they are super, super productive and they more than pay for themselves. But the B and C players tend to take up a lot of time and a lot of drama. Do you find that that's, been your experience too
2: yeah i mean i'd be surprised if anyone else has not had that experience
1: um
2: and i think the reality is that if you are have let's say b and c players and let's say they're managing either other b or c players or vendors that are B and c i don't think you get c results i think you get d and f results i think the world is just too competitive and um you know i think it's just that does that is not a good mix and i think as the business is growing you need to average up not average down And I think it's very easy to average up. And, you know, there are a lot of things like, you know, that are emotionally driven by like managers and whether it's owners or managers that, you know, they're afraid of people who are smarter than them and people talk about that or, you know, it's like, who are you hiring? I think you have to create a culture where um, everyone uh, understands the importance and uh, of building a team of averaging up. And if that kind of thing doesn't exist, you got to make some changes. Um, Hopefully you can do it through conversation and other things, but, you know, sometimes, Personnel changes are required because I think it's a very, very dangerous place to look at your organization. If it's 50% bigger than it was a year ago and say, man, the quality has gone down, that is not a good indicator of what's going to happen in the future. You may get yeah. lucky, but um, yeah, I mean, you got to, you got to be, I don't know if the right word is being snobbish or just whatever it is, but you've got to set a very high standard and you, know, you got to hold yourself and others to that.
1: Yeah. Do you think it's possible to coach up a B player to an A player or is that just, more of a function of this is who they are. This is what their, their standards are. And I guess, I don't know where I want to go with that, but, but do you think there there's hope if you've got people in your organization that you are sort of on the brink of letting go to coach them up to be the kind of person you want them to be, or is it just better to cut ties?
2: You know, I, I think it, well, it's always, there's always a, it depends thing, but I think it does depend. But I also think you got to set timelines and create a process for, what the desired outcome is and the desire changes and hold people to that and then you know it's like jack welsh got all this you know heat for you know they gee supposedly had a reputation of the bottom 10 percent was let go but the part that people missed was they would actually give people feedback they would give them support and training put them on a plan and some people stepped up and some people didn't so if you didn't step up and you know then it doesn't serve anybody to kid someone that they actually are good in their job when they're not and mm-hmm. you know again especially for your a players when i mean there are all these like examples of you know an a player and a c player do do work together and at the end of a project the boss says you know good job that's really defeating for an a player because they're like wait a minute i busted my butt and you're saying good job to both of us so i think yeah. uh, i think the part that a lot of times isn't talked about as much is the impact on your stars or the people who are at the be- upper echelon of the organization i mean talent wise and you know results wise having b and c players sends a message to them of what the company is willing to stand for or not. Yeah. But, you know, to the point of, yeah, you can develop people, but you also, some people step up and they don't, but you have to be very clear set, you know, as, as specific of objectives as possible. The reality is sometimes they're quantitative, like let's say in a sales role and sometimes it's more intangible, but in then it's still about, you know, being very clear, or having very clear communication, feedback, and to the extent you can afford coaching or whatever it is, then yeah. I mean, Um, You know, you'd always rather from that side, you'd rather keep people, but you'd also you need to have, you know, the standard people delivering on the standards that you that you expect.
1: Absolutely. And from an organizational standpoint, attracting A players and even A customers, I would think, has to do with establishing uh, an amazing corporate culture or a code of ethics or a code of conduct. People just – you have an experience. Like, for example, if you go to Chick-fil-A, they say, my pleasure, and that's that's who they are. That's what they do. Customer service is a huge part of what they do. Did you find that that was the same thing uh, for you as well?
2: Yeah. I mean, we yes. I mean, I like certainly from uh, as a manager, um, you know, at beach body and I had probably seven to nine direct reports at any one time and 50, let's see, people on my team. I was I mean, I, I was not in every hire, certainly. But, you know, I believe there's a standard you take, you set because. There are going to be meetings where I'm going to be in, I mean, frankly, I'll just say it selfishly from one side, which is I don't want to sit in a meeting with a junior person who I know is a C player and who's doing core work that is rolling up or, you know, whatever. And so they may not know as much and they may not have as much professional experience, but in their domain, are they an A player, right? And I think that's absolutely. And, um, you know, it's, I think fortunately when I was a Beachbody, it's easier when you have a brand and certainly... Place that people you know aspire to work at. The recruiting mm-hmm. process is easier from a, a lead side, but you still have to be very discerning on who you hire. Um, yeah. And sometimes, by the way, it's it's just not a fit. You know, so sometimes yeah. there are a variety of reasons um, why you don't hire people. So that's not always an implication on the person. It's sometimes you hopefully know what you need, and you're trying to find someone who's going to fill that. Um,
1: yeah, you know, so. Awesome. Great. Let's talk about subscription models because that's a great way to increase uh the bottom line. I mean, you c- continuity direct marketing is certainly uh very much all about that. Uh is this a- a- an aspect of a business that people tend to miss or do you think that not every product or service lends itself to a subscription model?
2: Uh well, I think there are definitely some businesses that don't sub- don't lend themselves to subscription, but right. I would say that um like, I'm not sure, I don't know, car repair or handbags. I guess maybe. I think everything probably could, I guess, but some are more natural. Um, right. sticking some random things. But uh, So here's actually an interesting, th- I mean, I actually, so I work with several subscription box businesses. I've, you know, it's, it's, it's a great model, and I will say that I don't think you have to be in a subscription business to succeed as a business, meaning okay. that without really spinning it at all, I believe everyone's in the subscription business, whether it's repeat customers, word of mouth, referrals or explicit continuity because if you're from my perspective if you're running paid media and you know what's the value of a customer what's your margin how much can you afford that's going to get baked in so you know like direct tv you know it's a subscription business they subsidize the cost of that box and the installation because they know you're going to stick around for 50 months or whatever it is like it's i think the average stick it's like four plus years with direct tv so that's baked into their model many businesses can't afford to stick around six uh, you know six months 12 months to break even so um, but don't get me wrong I'm not naive about the sexiness and certainly from an investor side and recurring revenues and all that thing but I also Mm -hmm. think there are plenty of businesses that have and will continue to succeed being more one sale at a time like that let me say like certain apparel things or certain bag uh, uh, products or you know whatever bicycles things like that and Mm -hmm. certainly there are places you can build continuity in but I don't think it's a requirement Um, absolutely so I think there's, that's, they're not mutually exclusive in terms of my feeling about the value and the benefit of it, but also, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, sometimes you don't want to force it, you know. Right. And, um, but it doesn't mean you can't be innovative, but I think, I don't think, I think it's, it's a great buzzword, and I'm again, a bunch of my clients are in that category, but I don't think it's a requirement necessarily.
1: Awesome. We will come right back. This is our final break, and this is Success Profiles Radio. We are here with Baba Kassad. We will come right back very shortly. Stay with us.
0: At radio Network, radio with a cutting edge.
3: It's never heard. Do you know someone who says um a lot when they are speaking? Every language has its own version of um. In English, we might also use the words eh and er. Spanish speakers say a, and Japanese say eto and eno, to name a few. Even sign language uses um. Studies show that these filler words make up an average of six to ten percent of spontaneous speech, and that men use them much more than women. So why do people splitter splutter out these filler words? It's not due to nervousness, but rather um holds the floor for us while we do our mental work. It buys some time for thinking when we don't have our repartee ready. My husband says they call our language the mother tongue because the father hardly ever gets to speak. carolyn davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app too funny for words
0: welcome back to success profiles radio so many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have and this show will clearly demonstrate the principles if i can do it you can do it so let's get back to the show this is success profiles radio and here again is your host brian k wright
1: And we're back. This is Success Profiles Radio, my very special guest. This week is Baba Kassad. and uh, I want to ask you, uh, what is it that you're working on right now? We talked about Beachbody for quite a long time, but you're doing other things now. Let's talk about that.
2: Sure. Yeah, so I left uh, April of 2015, so just over two years ago. Um, gave notice, I think, 10 days or something before, or a couple weeks before the birth of my second son, and then uh, my last day was 12 days after. Um, when he was born. So kind of uh, interesting timing there. Uh, I left to go start something. Um, short version is it didn't work out. The team, even though we've been talking, once we got full time, it just didn't work out, which I think was the best. Um, um, you know, and I think we just kind of, sometimes that happens and that's just the reality of starting something. So, um, you know, a bit, a bit surprising to me, I started picking up some consulting clients and I started building um, my consulting business and realized that as much as we grew from nine figures to 10 at Beachbody, there were a lot of things that were directly applicable to businesses that are seven and eight figures. And, um, and so that's generally what I've been doing now. And, you know, I've got basically four to six clients at any one point. Um, it's a very strategic and analytical approach towards helping them scale, um, you know, focused not surprisingly on customer acquisition, uh, customer LTV, brand, and, and operational excellence. But, you know, the, the LTV model, I think a lot of people touch and think they know it. Like, that's where I'm really great. You know, I'm not a great copywriter by any stretch, but I know that model I know how important it is. I know how to leverage it both in terms of driving media and, um, you know, how do you think about testing and optimization and resources and all the resource deployment, things like that. So, yeah, it's been a couple of years. Um, yeah, generally e-commerce businesses with paid, um, generally consumer driven, generally subscription of some sort. But again, as I kind of alluded to, you know, I think that's, uh, I apply a relatively loose definition mostly because I think the, the things you do are, are ultimately about how do you build a great customer experience? And I think that's, that's where the world is moving to. Um, and then just been heavily focused on digital. You know, I certainly absolutely believe in TV and uh, have worked with a couple of clients and I'm working with one right now on their on what they're doing with TV. But, you know, probably also just by need, I had to get much more, um, uh, I just had to get better, frankly, at, at digital and, um, and you know, a lot of the stuff there. So it's been nice to have the diversity and not too many folks have touched the scale, certainly from a TV side, but even on the digital side now. Um, so yeah. kind of crossing those worlds uh, has been a lot of fun.
1: Right. You're working with blue apron now, right?
2: No. So that I did a post. So I actually, yeah. So I actually had no information on that. I I just did a post. Um, I think it was two weeks ago by now. Um, where they just filed for their S1. Uh, They're going public. I don't know exact timing, but soon. And um, they had, you know, a lot of companies, they share information. They obviously don't want to share a massive amount. Um, There are a lot of reasons why they don't want to, but uh, I just started digging in, frankly, to what they're doing from a customer acquisition side, churn, um customer ltv and uh and again i got, I got no information i don't i don't know 100 percent by any stretch that i'm right but just wanted to show people you know according to what i've done you know it looks like they're acquiring people at about 150 dollars cpa they got about 10 percent monthly churn and they're netting about 150 bucks per customer they acquire so after wow. costs and more uh, and media and all that and uh part of it was also to show you know i, I run some i show some scenarios um, it's on my blog, it's on LinkedIn. Um, but you know, I show some scenarios of how I got to where I got to and I part of it's showing, you know, this is how you can break down a business. Um, these are the kinds of things you look at. These are ways, some assumptions I'm making kind of, I talk through exactly the process, my thinking in doing that. And, uh, and I think because it's blue apron, it's subscription box, they're about to go public. Um, you know, it's got a lot of traction and people have, uh, I think frankly, I haven't seen much that's out there that's like it. So, yeah. you know, I take, I in that, um, and you know i want to i want to put stuff out there that's good and that's valuable and um yeah but yeah it's, i've gotten a lot of good response and i haven't heard anything from blue apron obviously i'm not surprised by that they gotta be in a quiet period but, right uh, yeah but i think it's also fundamentally it's about this is how to look at a business this is how i can break it down i think a lot of people have viewed it as a an attack or a, a, a kind of saying that subscription or e-commerce is not uh, doesn't have a chance for success that's absolutely not what it was um i think like don't know if Blue Apron going to succeed or not. I think you have to understand their business goals, um, but it's also about like, what's their margin structure? How are they building their business? Where, where are their levers in the business um, to take advantage of it? So, you know, again, it's, it was much more about breaking it down and then figure out how, do it, how does it apply for people as opposed to necessarily being critical of them. Because again, when you're venture funded, they have a different set of goals necessarily than if it was a bootstrap business. So yeah, yeah there's a lot in there.
1: Absolutely. So where can we find you and read your blog and, and get connected to you?
2: Sure. So my personal, uh, my blog is on uh, it's Bobakazad.com. I imagine there'll be links, but it's B-A-B-A-K-A-Z-A-D.com. And then my business is round two ventures. Um, all lowercase. I guess well, all URLs are, but uh, all letters. So round two partners.com is my business site. Um, my blog, all the contents, there, free. And there's no opt-ins or anything like that. And I try to share some stuff that's uh, different and that's really valuable. And, you know, I have no problem sharing it. Um, you know, I've had some friends ask, well, why do you essentially give away what you do? I said, well, it's very much like telling people you're going to build a business by running Facebook ads, converting people and maximizing customer LTV. Well, that's really hard to do. <laughs> so the process right. is telling people the process is one thing; the execution side is a very different thing.
1: Right. The the, the what is easy, but the how is very hard. Sometimes I can get that for sure. Yeah. So let me ask you: What are some of your most favorite business tools that that help you or or shortcut your way through your day?
2: Um, so there are probably there are a few. So uh, I use Gmail. I mean Google Apps uh, for my email. I'm a big boomerang guy, so. I do use two things with Boomerang. One is if I just don't want to look at an email for a day or doesn't need a response right away, um, I'll just basically it goes away and I tell the system when to come back. Um, And whether it's, you know, uh, five hours or it's in two weeks Um, or sometimes I just need to follow up with someone in a month. So I'll send an email to myself um, that shows up a month later. Uh, The second thing, I'm a big Evernote guy. um, No doubt about that. Uh, I think a lot of people love Evernote. And then um, from a scheduling side, I found whether it's schedule once or calendly, um, when I'm dealing with people outside, you know, I don't, we don't, we can't always share calendars. So giving people a link to my calendar or vice versa, as opposed to the constant back and forth of does this day and time work? They just send people a link. They can figure out a time that works for them. It schedules and we're done. So that has made a world of difference.
1: Absolutely. That's fantastic. I know you read a lot. So what are some of the most influential books uh, that you have read? Uh,
2: so I think a, I, mean, yeah, I love reading. Um, I, uh, so one is called Straight Line Leadership. Um, I, uh, it's, the guy's name is Dusen. Uh, I'm going to botch his name, Dukic. Um, but if you just look up Straight Line Leadership, uh, I, just there are a lot of just it's a, it's a collection of vignettes of just a lot of I'll call them simple ideas about how to get from A to B. Um, but i just again i think we all love stories and uh, and i just think there are a lot of great valuable tools and, and lessons in there and then um there's a book called never split the difference uh, i'm blanking on the author's name but it's chris voss
1: one. yeah chris voss it's yeah. on my desk right here right here
2: yeah, yeah it's a, he's a former fbi negotiator yep. and um host, hostage negotiator i think right so yes. he, there's just a lot of stuff in there about you know negotiation about sales about you know um just a lot of things that whether it's your personal life or your professional life and i don't mean to get in this world of like negotiating with my wife but it's much more about like communication and you know understanding each other and obviously you got to get to a win-win so there are uh, there are a lot of things frankly that i've applied both personally and professionally from that book
1: yeah that is a fantastic book it's called never split the difference negotiating as if your life depended on it by chris Voss. v-o-s-s it's a fantastic book i'm in the middle of that one right now myself that's awesome yeah, it is. Do you have a daily success routine that helps you get your day started?
2: I wish I had something that was more consistent because I got two kids that are four and two. So, oh, yes, um, by definition, it's uh, they create a little bit of inconsistency, but you know it's obviously worth it. Um, yes. I try to work out in the morning. Um, I try to get a plan for the day. So whenever my day gets going, whether it's six a.m. or seven thirty eight or whatever, if I'm lucky, which is rare. Um, but I think having a sense, sense of intention about the day. And, um, and knowing kind of what my main things are. And I think it's very easy to get caught up in email or whatever slack or anything. I think just being clear about what the goals are for the day. And, uh, I'm a big calendar guy. So even if it's, you know, I got a, that's a block of time or it's not always calls and meetings, but just putting something on my calendar. Um yeah. I got a friend literally who puts, he, he's gotten more sleep because on his calendar now, I think at 9:30 or 10 PM, it says go to bed. And, uh, and it's like, it sounds super geeky, but you know what, that's what works for him. And I can resonates with me that if it's on my calendar, I'm much more likely to do it than not. Um, I haven't done that one yet, but, uh, I thought that was actually kind of funny, but yeah, he's he's getting a lot more sleep because it's on his calendar and he just, that's what works for him. And that's, that's kind of the point is you got to figure out what works for
1: you. Absolutely. You have to find what resonates with you for sure. We've got about three minutes until the end. Uh, let me ask you who inspires and motivates you. This is the question I ask everybody.
2: Yeah, I think it's impossible. I got look, my son is playing in our backyard right now. My other son is asleep and my wife just came back and forth into the office. And I think that's the uh, that's I mean, that's it. You know, it's my, my family. I got uh, fortunate to have two o- older sisters. My parents are still around. We all live within eight minutes of one another. And so, um, you know, family for me has always been the most important thing. Um, I will say that, you know, I've been kind of taught to even though I don't didn't always show up to have a sense of humility and to, you know. Be good with people and and and, uh, and you know try to do things that are positive. So, but at the end of the day, um, you know that's it's it's my family. That's that's what drives yeah. me.
1: That's fantastic. If you were starting over today, knowing what you know right now, what would you do differently?
2: Um, um, so yeah, I got my son right here now climbing on my chair. Um, if I were starting uh, over today, I would. Um, man, I would. Uh, I would have take. I would just. Honestly, it's figure out something that I was excited by and go and just test. And uh, And I think, Frank, that's what I did with my consulting business. My wife is a product developer. Um, and so uh, she'd done beauty products forever. She's now doing mommy and baby products. And I think there's a bit of – we're not starting over, but we're both in build mode right now. And so I think we're doing what I would do if I were completely starting from scratch. Now, I have hopefully some more resources and experience to tap into – but I think it's just it's find something that, you know, is exciting or that seems interesting and then start testing it out and see if it works. Um, I think the biggest mistake I made was not having enough confidence, not having enough um, being decisive and frankly, yeah. just getting an analysis. I had like I had 20 ideas and didn't take action on any of them because I was worried about picking the wrong one as opposed to doing nothing, which at one point I did. And so that I ended up in that. One. So I think, you know. You're never going to have perfect information by any stretch. So do a little bit of homework, pick something, start testing, and see how it goes, and then you learn from there.
1: All right. One more time, how can we get a hold of you, or how can we find more of what you're doing?
2: Sure. So my website, my personal site, which, again, where I share my stuff, is BobakAzad.com. My business site is round2partners.com, all okay. letters.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much for being here today, Bobak. It was a pleasure and a privilege to have you here.
2: I appreciate it. Thank you. pleasure was
1: mine. All right. So this has been success profiles radio. My guest was Babak Assad and you can find him at Babak B a b a k a z a d. B a B a K a Z a D.com. We talked about scaling your business. You can listen back to this, uh, Once the replay is available, you can download and subscribe to Success Profiles Radio on iTunes anytime you want. Uh, Download, subscribe, leave a review. That would be really fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We will be here every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern where I will interview another world-class success and learn about their journey, what they overcame, and the lessons we can learn from that and learn about their topic of expertise. Please come back next week. Thank you so much. Have a great day.